Suomi. Finland. Suomi. United States of America. USA. 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 You're listening to the second episode of the Suomi Finland podcast. My name is Satu Järvelainen. I'm the communications coordinator at the Embassy of Finland in Washington, D.C. In 2019, we are honoring the centennial of Finland-U.S. diplomatic relations. And with this podcast series, we're celebrating all things Finnish-American. On this episode, dear listener, you will find out what some history-filled books and audio recordings reveal to us about the past lives of the Finnish-American community. Suomi, Finland. AFS recording number 2353, side A. Here I am at the Library of Congress, my first time ever. I'm very excited to talk to Taro Spiegel. Taro, could you introduce who are you and how did you end up working at the Library of Congress? All right. Um, I Here I'm known as Taru. That's what most people call me. So, um, But thank you for calling me Taro. <laughs> I haven't heard that in a long time. Um, I've always loved libraries, and I had a friend who worked here. I've worked here for 37 years. Um, I'm currently a reference specialist in the library's European division. Uh, library has a number of divisions uh, with specialized reading rooms, and um, I work with Northern European materials. Finland is one of them. Finnish is one of them. Our main function is to serve Congress, and there's a unit that's dedicated solely to serving them. Um, they answer questions from very simple ones to very complex ones. Together with Taru Spiegel, Finnish-American herself, will explore the Finland collections of the Library of Congress. Credited as the largest library in the whole world, the library's collection has more than 168 million items in 470 languages. They also host a vast collection of Finnish items. How would you describe your like a regular average work week? Do you get random requests about I want to track down my Finnish relatives, or is it more like somebody's an artist and learning Finnish poetry, or how does it go? What's the typical request you get as a reference specialist? Well, genealogy is always very popular. People want to know um, where they where their family came from and how to trace that, and that that is one of the questions, but they they range enormously. I mean, people just suddenly think of something and then they, they write to us. Um, often they ask about books. Do we have such and such a book or has such and such a thing been translated into English? Or they'll vaguely remember something that grandma read to them and could I identify it? <laughs> And then talking about archiving and preserving materials, gathering materials, what kind of material do you have of Finland in in Library of Congress and and how many items uh, in general would you estimate there is? It's very hard to calculate um, because of different ways of um, cataloging materials. Um, We generally say 100,000 items because let's say you have a journal and then you have the individual volumes. So if we count those, that adds up. And uh, gosh, we have materials uh, from all the classification areas, really. So let me, I have a little list here because I wanted to make sure that I, I gave you an accurate idea. So 
we have everything from philosophy to history to literature to political science to law to music to maps to agriculture and um, just general reference materials. So it's a good thing to plan ahead and really call ahead perhaps or register online so that it's not a frustrating experience because we're spread around on three buildings here on Capitol Hill. Very valuable real estate, by the way. <laughs> 100,000 items is a lot. But what finished things do people actually search at the Library of Congress? Lately, people have been interested in uh, Finnish education because of the report that indicated that Finnish education was the best in the world. Um, it, it comes and goes. Uh, sometimes it's pol- political science, you know, but people are very interested in uh, Finland and, and Finland's relations with Russia, of course, because Russia is such a big geopolitical player. Um, it, it just really, really depends. I, I can't say, I can't give an answer. <laughs> Suomi, Finland. If you would have to describe some of the Finnish-American items or areas of interest that there is, could you pinpoint some? Uh, well, there's a lot of Finnish-American history because uh, when people first came, you know, they settled down and then they found out that they're, they were living in a very diverse community and, and then they kind of started thinking about their roots and how did they get here. Um, so we have a good collection of those kinds of materials. Do you personally have any favorites of a item or book or a piece of uh, Finnish American history that you've stumbled upon on one of these research missions? And Well, you know, one of the things that that really kind of blew my mind, if I may use that expression, was um, this book of cartoons by um, Finnish American, who's also a Findian, and his name is Carl Gaboy or Gaboy. I'm not sure how to pronounce it. And um, now Finland's changed a lot since I left, but the Finns that Finnish Americans that are here are still probably exhibit some of the older Finnish traits. And and so here's a cartoon of the annual meeting of the International Bad Finn Society. And here's Lisa R. She threw out perfectly good rags. David P., they're anonymous. <laughs> he once accepted help. And here's Maria J. She wears shoes in the house. And here's Matt S., he loves his wife so much he almost told her. You can find more information about the book Taro Spiegel mentioned on this episode's online description. You have written this fascinating article which details the path of Finns in America. It is such a great piece that I'm, I'm going to include the link uh, for our listeners so that they can read all of it. We're not going to go through all of it, but I would love for you to highlight some of the the bits on this. I have a few questions. The Finns actually came here uh, via two ships. Uh, what can you tell me uh, about those ships in your own words? Well, um, they were called Manukkel and Fogelgrip, and they sailed from um, from Stockholm to Göteborg and then... Uh, through the the English Channel and uh, then via the Canary Islands and came across that way. It was they probably were following ocean currents and uh, the trip took quite a long time. Uh, these were not the only ships that brought fins here. They were just the two earliest ones. And um, the um, Swedish colony um, existed from 
1638 to the 1650s, and then it was taken over by the Brits, and then, well, first by the Dutch and then the Brits. But um, activities continued till the 1680s, till Pennsylvania was sort of formed. So um, th there was toing and froing between, well, F Finland was part of Sweden back then, so there were little ships plowing across the Atlantic with fur trade and whatnot. Um, these were not the rich people. The rich people had a happy time staying at home, so they, they sent these enterprising folk here to, to represent Sweden and, and establish a colony in the New World. Like you mentioned, uh, most of the Finns were very poor who, who headed over here uh, uh, in search of better bread and butter and, and work. And what kind of work did those first early Finnish or Finnish Swedish settlers back in the time who were part of the, the Swedish kingdom, what kind of work did they end up doing in America? I think they were primarily farmers. They came here to um, conquer land. Um, the idea was tobacco was a great commodity back then. So... Um, I think the idea was to ship tobacco to Sweden, and we have an actual, we have two pieces for, from um, they were called broadsheets, proclamations um, from Queen Christina's time, and one has to do with uh, doing away with a monopoly, tobacco monopoly. So now everybody could import tobacco to Sweden, but they just had to pay tax to the crown. And and it's lovely. It's in kind of archaic Swedish. <laughs> Taro Spiegel's research at the Library of Congress on Finnish Americans' history is based on various books and documents. Those words and images paint a compelling picture of the Finns settling in the New World. For instance, she writes, quote, Hundreds of Finnish sailors were on record as having abandoned their ships, tempted by California gold and a life in such big cities as New York and Boston." Unquote. Let's hear more about the life of Finns in the Big Apple. And then there was a fascinating place in New York called Fintown. What can you tell me about Fintown? Well, Fintown uh, was a lovely place where a number of Finnish people settled, and, and this was an urban environment as opposed to the countryside where people were farmers. So. Um, Uh, Finns, um, there were about 10,000 Finns there, and um, they uh, established cooperatives. Like, there's a picture of a, a baker at a cooperative bakery, and they were very active. Um, um, I'm not, I don't know a whole lot about the sociopolitical goings-on at Fintown. What I know is that Finns were very much divided into the sort of religious, um, prosperous middle class and then the workers. And the workers were quite horrified at the dreadful conditions that prevailed in, um, you know, the poorer industries. So in addition to starting those co-ops, the, the Finnish uh, settlers uh, or Finnish uh, immigrants, they started a lot of unions. Was it, wasn't that true? Like labor unions? Yes. Very much so, and I was able to get a really nice collection of books uh, oh, many years ago. Um, it must have been somebody's library, and there was a lot of um, quite incendiary material about, you know, workers and and um, the kind of robber barons and so forth. It also had uh, re religious material. That was quite fascinating. Besides the labor unions and co-ops and everything, one interesting bit that you mentioned here is that, in general, the Finnish immigrants had a very high literacy rate. And that led to some some interesting developments in the printing field. 
Yes, yes. Um, the Finnish literacy or Finnish American literacy rate was something like 93%. I mean, the Finnish school system started, what, in the 1800s. And uh, so a lot of them um, were much better off in that sense because a lot of the people from Southern Europe could not read or write. And so um, the Finns uh, established publishing houses for, for various purposes and various points of view. And, and it's lovely to find the old language or lovely to find old fiction, uh, very dramatic and, and kind of a little simple seeming sometimes, but just lovely. And I'm glad we have it here. And do you have any official estimate of how many Finnish language newspapers was actually published in the United States back in those like like peak times? Because I think it varies from like a few hundreds to even over, closer to a thousand. There were quite a few, and unfortunately, we don't have a very representative collection uh, for that. You'd have to go to some of the um, university libraries in the Midwest. But yes, very active. In fact. Um, My daughter's grandmother's father, um, he was a tailor, um, and he wrote incendiary pieces, kind of leftist pieces, to uh, one of the newspapers in New York. So um, everybody that that had an opinion kind of got up and wrote somewhere, and, and these newspapers had, you know, sometimes they didn't last very long, and unfortunately most of them are, are dying out now. To our embassy's knowledge, nowadays there are only two Finnish-American publications. American Utiset, News of America, a bi-weekly newspaper from Lake Worth, Florida, with news and columns mainly in Finnish. Then there is a monthly journal in English called The Finnish-American Reporter, edited in Hancock, Michigan at the Finlandia University. You can find out more information about these publications on our website, finland.org. Talking about a little bit about the uh, Americanization of Finns, how did that happen? What areas were really the ones that that helped kind of knit the group of Finns, uh, Finnish settlers, into the American society? I think it was really the schools. Um, and in fact, there was a big movement, um, I think, in the early 1900s to make people part of the American melting pot and kind of forget their ethnic roots and to become real Americans. And of course, with the world wars and so forth, uh, people were eager to present themselves as Americans and not some sort of strange foreigner. Uh, in fact, some some schools um, tried to make children to stop speaking their own language and so forth. And then, of course, you know, as time went on, people found out about it. And there's a big revival in the 70s to kind of get find your roots and, and you know, learn Finnish again and that sort of stuff. So, um, But I would imagine it was the schools and neighbors and, and just trying to do business. I mean, uh, there were books on, on how to kind of cope with this new country and, you know, what to say and... <laughs> that kind of stuff. In addition to newspapers, unions, churches, and co-ops, the Finnish Americans started new festive traditions, which helped create a tighter bond with their new country. One example is Heikinpäivä, an annual Finnish American midwinter festival celebrating all the quirks and qualities of the Finnish people and their descendants in the Upper Peninsula of Michigan. 
Have you heard about St. Urhur's Day, which is celebrated year after year on 16th of March? This tongue-in-cheek festival was created to honor a mythical Finnish-American hero, St. Urho, who, according to a northern Minnesotan legend, quote, chased the grasshoppers out of ancient Finland, thus saving the grape crop and the jobs of the Finnish vineyard workers, unquote. How does Taru Spiegel, as a Finnish-American herself, see the importance of these kinds of community-led events? Finns have a quiet sense of humor, and I think that comes out here. Um, there there are c- customs that Finnish-Americans have developed that are actually not found in Finland, certain kinds of snow-related things and events. Um, so, yeah, each... Each group kind of develops and and evolves and and comes up with its own ideas and customs and myths and so forth. As a Finnish-American, I kind of feel a little bit alone because there aren't too many of us. And I think when when you were in neighborhoods where there were a lot of Finns, they probably felt like we need to raise our profile too. I mean, you know, everybody goes out and drinks green beer on St. Patty's Day. And well, what about us? You know, what, what... we're different, special, and wonderful. So let's let's do something cool. Um, and sure, I'm sure that that um, did something for the community spirit. And it, it's funny, you know, totally funny. So it's it's really a wonderful thing. I think Finland is so kind of small but very efficient that uh, people just generally have a good feeling about Finland if they actually know where it is on the map. And uh, People find out how many Finns there are, they often laugh. <laughs> Suomi, Finland. This episode of Suomi Finland podcast only scratched the surface of the many elements and events binding Finns of the past and present to the United States of America. If you're keen to find out more about the Finnish topics discussed, you can contact the European Division at the Library of Congress. Now it's time to say thank you, Kitos, to our podcast guest, reference specialist Taro Spiegel, for her immensely important job of preserving Finnish and Finnish-American culture here in the US. Kitos paljon. My name is Satu Järveläinen. I will explore more things Finnish-American with you in our next episode. Then we'll learn all about a club called Finspark, Kipinäkerho. Stay tuned. <laughs>